friends. You know, Annette and I were talking the other day about uh, hope and why hope is so important. And we recognize that all of us need a little bit of hope in our lives. And because of that, we're really excited to share this podcast with you, not only today, but to the podcast that we have that's full of interviews with everyday people who have found hope in their lives, as well as experts on subjects like healthcare, self-care, medical health, and spirituality. We believe that we can become who we desire to become. We can find hope. Everyone can. So join us in our, in our journey and become a champion of hope in your own community. And with that, we would love to introduce you to our guest today, Dr. Michelle Stevens, PhD, CPNR, and RN. And we're going to talk about some of those titles in a minute. And, uh, and, and we want you to know, listeners, that uh, she's a co-founder and chief nursing officer at uh, OathCare. We'll talk about OathCare and who OathCare is. And her experience as a pediatric clinician, early childhood stress scientist, and a mom of a seven and nine-year-old deeply inform how she leads and builds within the healthcare technology space. So, Michelle, we are thrilled to get to know you. We've had a chance to visit with you a little bit before today, and then just a little bit today as well, prior to to, to having our visit. And we we wanted to we we wanted to bring you in with the idea that we all need that hope. Hope is so, so critical, especially now. And I, and I wanted to read, I, I know that you focus on, on uh, child care and, and uh, the, the emotional needs of children, especially. And we'll talk about why that's important to you. Cause I know you've got a great story, but I wanted to introduce by, by sharing this statistic. I was reading this recently. It said, according to the state of the world's children, report published by UNICEF, more than 40% of children aged 10 to 19 across the globe suffer from some kind of a mental health illness. And that uh, during 2020, of course, we know what was happening during 2020. But during 2020, there was a 24% increase in emergency room visits for mental health reasons in children aged 5 to 11. And there was more than a 30% increase in in uh, emergency room visits for children uh, 12 to 17 year old and you know we could we could recite all kinds of statistics but this is such a critical conversation that we're going to have today and it's not meant to be a clinical conversation more than it is what can we do to help one another to mm-hmm. to achieve the goals that we have not only for ourselves but for those especially the young ones around us today so welcome Michelle, we're so glad to have you. Oh, thank you, Annette and Mark. This has been such an incredible experience to be with you all, and I'm so excited to to dive in. I'm looking at your bio, an early childhood stress Mm -hmm. scientist. And, you know, you don't have a lot of people, I haven't heard of many, if anybody besides you, Mm -hmm. who has that title and focuses on that childhood stress Mm. and it's so critical and your story tells us why you focused on that yeah and we would love it if you would just share your story Mm -hmm. and then we can go into the hope of where you're at and how we can offer this hope to our friends oh yes uh so my story starts when i was seven 
my brother passed away from a congenital heart defect when he was a month old. Mm. Um, and so uh, that story is the foundation of why I pursued pediatrics. Um, that just completely, ex- that experience completely just changed and shifted my entire life, um, our family's life. But my mom would tell me stories growing up of how like incredible the nurses and doctors were during all that experience. And then even after he passed, how they kept in touch and followed up with her. And um, it was so impactful that it made me want to become uh, a pediatric nurse. Um, I, I loved taking care of kids. I, I, I loved going to the pediatric office. Uh, I loved volunteering. All those things actually looked like I was into psychology. Um, but my mom brought me back and she was like, what, what about nursing? You know? Uh, and that was when I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's the fit. Um, so I pursued nursing in undergrad and after undergrad, I got to work at the same hospital where the surgeon that developed the repair for my brother's defect was in residence. Uh, so I got to take care of a lot of patients like my brother. Um, and oh, I remember calling my mom and us crying together around this little boy who just, you know, got out of his four stage surgery uh, now is doing so well and I get to take care of him. And, you know, I, you know, I'm seeing the life of my brother through him. Um, so really beautiful how that all came to be. I hate to interrupt here, but there's no coincidence there. No. Mm-hmm. And, and and I just didn't want to lose sight of that yes. in, in your journey and really in all of our journeys, if we step back a little bit, we can see yeah. how orchestrated, if you will, yes. our lives have been. Absolutely. I believe in intelligent design and purpose in that way. Um, I could have very easily gone down the psychology path, um, but there was a very intentional uh, path that I was able to walk down. And yeah, it, it, it was an incredible experience to be uh, hard, but also um, just full circle. Yes. So go, um, on with you, go on with your uh, story there, because it doesn't end there. No, no it's just the beginning. Um, so my... Um, Uh, experiences in the pediatric ICU really started having me think around, wow, these parents are experiencing such tremendous amounts of stress and these children. And, you know, what are we doing after we hopefully get them out of the ICU to help them cope and uh, be uh, resilient folks outside of outside of the ICU, Um, not just to survive, but to thrive. It also had me thinking around my own stressful experiences as a child and how my brother's passing really, um, really impacted my my life. Um, And so I uh, became a pediatric nurse practitioner uh, to serve in the primary care space to quite literally uh, prevent those tertiary care experiences and got really curious around uh, the phenomenon of adverse childhood experiences. I came across this when I was doing my research and trying to understand stress in early childhood. I mean, up until recently, folks actually believe and may still believe that like kids don't get stressed. 
like babies, right? Like infants. <laughs> like they don't get stressed. They're like happy. Yeah. They're like, better. It's fine. Um, it couldn't be farther from the truth. Yeah. Um, so we know that kids actually do experience stress, um, as uh, any individual does, um, and that that stress, ex- especially experienced in early childhood, has a dose-response correlation to seven out of the top 10 chronic illnesses we face in the United States today. No kidding. That's, that's powerful. This you can take it down to those early childhood experiences. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I mean, this statistic alone was the thing that just got me to um, be on fire for um, this body of research, the way that we can impact kids and long-term health for future generations. Um, And this is what really propelled me to pursue a PhD in this. Um, I was going to pursue a PhD in cardiac um, uh, surgery for for infants, obviously, to uh, impact, uh, you know, what my brother went through. Um, But this this was defining for me, uh, both personally, uh, knowing my own A score, which is not zero, one or two, but uh, but um, to also really make an impact on on others, A scores. Um, but also to really make an impact for future generations and quite honestly, to do more for kids than we're doing right now. Um, we're honestly just measuring and tracking their height, weight, and head circumference longitudinally, which is just a massive disservice for the rapid and expansive amount of growth that children have in the first five years of life. Um, so that that was why I wanted to pursue uh, early childhood stress. I wish we had you as our children's nurse practitioner. Mm. I think back to I think, and we talked about this, Michelle, and and listeners. If you're new, our son uh, was diagnosed with a brain tumor at eight. Mm. He was the third of four of you know of our children, and. Mm we never addressed the stress. Yeah. That impacted not only on him, but the rest of the family and especially our children. And that is not your fault. The medical education system does not prepare doctors or nurses for this. We do not fully understand it. The the healthcare system is not prepared to address it. it. it, it literally doesn't come up unless there's some sort of intervention or proactiveness on, you know, some part. So you, you mentioned the ACE score. Yeah. And that you're not zero, one or two, neither am I. <laughs> and I would love it if you would share with our listeners and educate more on what, what's an ACE score. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the ACE uh, study was done back in the early 90s. It was uh, Kaiser and the CDC got together and came up with like um, these 10 sort of markers of uh, severe stress. So, um, excuse me. These uh, stressors are around abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction. And they were studied amongst a bunch of different uh, health measures. 
Um, and uh, I, I named like a really big statistic around um, ACE score and correlation to chronic illness, but you can uh, understand specific ACE scores, specific numbers correlated to specific diagnoses. Even if your ACE score is above a certain number, you could have, I think it's, I don't want to quote um, the wrong number here, but you can have years off of your life. Uh, statistically speaking, due to your ACE score. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I'll be I'll be honest, my ACE score is five. Anyone can also figure out their ACE score. There's like a bunch of different like quick um, uh, tests online that you can do if you just type in ACE score. Um, and, and I'll put that link in the show notes. Oh, good. Yes. Super interesting. Yes. To have that and... And I'll be honest, mine's above that. I'm above a five. And um, and I have had chronic illnesses my mm. entire life. But now it makes sense. Yes. And, and that's what this tool is meant to um, be. It's, a, it's meant to be a marker, a direction. It is not meant to be a diagnosis. It's not meant to be... Uh, okay, now this is what your life is going to be riddled with illness and and hardship. It's um, meant to point you in a direction as to where can I start to make a difference, make a change in my life. And that's what it was for me. I was able to realize, wow, my chronic colitis, my miscarriages, my, um, uh, I had malignant melanoma all within a year happening to me. Um, I was like, wow, maybe this has to do with what I experienced in early childhood. These wild illnesses coming um, up for me that had no etiology, no real clear understanding. Maybe, maybe they're due to my early childhood stress. And so from there, I was able to, to, to make some changes and to, to make and to heal myself um, quite literally from, from early childhood. You know, I think of uh, of, of that uh, ACE score, and uh, I, and I'm very interested to go back. I, you know, I, I think that we might look at our childhoods and we might say, "Oh, I, I lived a charmed childhood," or I, "I had some difficulties in my my childhood." And I know that we all have different experiences, and some of those experiences are more symptomatic based on not just our environment, but uh, on our health. Yes. And, and I and I know that uh, you know I'll, I'll be honest with you. I one one of the things that changed my life a number of years ago was when I was and I, and Annette's always thought I've had this weird thing about I like to read the newspaper and uh, read the obituaries. Oh. And and uh, you know it's it's interesting to see how people die and uh, you know what uh, what their lives were like. And I like to get to know people that I don't know. I was reading a uh, an obituary though of a little child that had passed away, mm. and of course that. Uh, and that's not supposed to happen in life. Yeah, we think that uh, life is uh, full of rainbows and unicorns for little children, and and sometimes it's not. Yeah, and and uh, as I was reading that, uh, the diagnosis or the the cause of death was failure to thrive. Oh yeah, and and I'd never heard that term before, mm-hmm. but over the years I, I have uh, thought of that term more and more, recognizing that as a people, too often we fail to thrive. Oh. Whether it's because because of illness, 
because of, uh, of, of emotional uh, illness or whatever the case might be. Can, let's talk about that for a minute, about uh, failing to thrive. And and we're going to talk about some some solutions, hopefully, in, in a bit as well. But but let's let's just talk about uh, childhood and and uh, that that failure to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. And I love your point that you brought up around what could be within you, not just your environment. Typically, we think about trauma happening to folks that are um, really severely disadvantaged. And yes, that definitely happens. But I think that we fail to also recognize that. Uh, folks can go through trauma just by the mere fact that they are like a sensitive to their environment in a certain way, that their experiences can quite literally get under their skin and change their neurobiology. And this happens to all types of folks that experience trauma, but there's this concept around individual difference that we could all experience the same event happening but each individual experience it way, way differently. So I want to bring that up to just voice that, you know, we all can experience things differently and experience trauma in all different ways, not just the, what the world says that it is. And um, yeah, I, I really do want to double down on, on the fact that, um, you know, my sisters, my, my other friends, may not have maybe experienced the the trauma that I experienced in the same way, but I, I'm a sensitive human. Uh, my uh, mentor's mentor, Dr. Tom Boyce, uh, really coined the fact uh, that we are either orchids or dandelions. Uh, most of us, 80% of us are dandelions in the world. We kind of go through life like pretty uh, unaffected by things. Um, we're just, you know, we're extroverted, uh, we're not very sick. Um, but the sensitive 20% ones, um, they are the ones that are just more sensitive to their environment, meaning maybe more shy, more withdrawn, uh, maybe have more illnesses, um, but under uh, very supportive conditions, thrive under very supportive conditions, really grow into this beautiful, delicate, a rare individual orchid um, where the dandelions, they'll thrive under, you know, any condition. They'll just, you know, they're weeds. They'll kind of just grow and expand and, and be present. Um, but the orchids are, are um, rarer and um, they will definitely wilt and die under unsupportive conditions, but under very supportive conditions will thrive. So I think getting to your point, Mark, around uh, what it means to thrive, it means to be supported. You cannot do this life alone. We are not meant to do it alone. And, uh, you know, 2020 really was a, a smack in the face for, the, for realizing that. Um, but the science so supports this. It's that we're just we're connected individuals meant to live with e and through each other. Um, and the science of stress really does say that for children to have positive, consistent caregivers in their, in their life so that the stressors of life can be buffered so that when trauma, when stress comes, 
um, it won't uh, affect their biology as great. And then they'll have, uh, you know, a, a better um, health trajectory. This whole visual of orchids and dandelions, I, I just, I can't tell you what's going on in my mind. And, and I love that. And, and those orchids, yes, they're sensitive and it's a good thing to be sensitive. Yes. And it's a good thing to feel. And, and that can be that they have that innate gift of feeling others pain and sorrow. So it doesn't always have to be a negative in their home environment that causes the trauma. That's just not knowing how to deal with the stressors and the feelings of others that come in impact us. Yes. Yes. So the things, the tools that I have relied on and that I know work really well to thrive under any circumstance are to really find those folks that are going to be your champions, that are going to be your positive, consistent caregivers in your child's life. And you know what? It doesn't have to be your parents. Honestly, maybe it shouldn't be your parents. Um, You know, my parents are great. They're wonderful human beings, but I've also found a lot of light and hope in other folks' story um, and support as well. Um, and I think it's important for our kids to find that as well. I found through, um, meditation, uh, really dedicating just 10 minutes a day to meditation, um, has really helped, um, me, uh, understand myself center and ground myself. Um, I mean, taking deep breaths, honestly, is just so powerful. We really don't uh, pay enough attention to our breath. Um, And so breathing has been a really good tactic for me to use, especially in the moment where I find myself reactive. Um, Noticing that reactivity is such an important uh, uh, thing for us to understand when our nervous system goes into that fight or flight where we increase our heart rate, start to sweat a little bit. Our chest starts to get a little tight. Um, Our breathing gets faster. All of those signs are signs that we are reactive to to whatever uh, is in the world. And so um, breathing can really help and noticing grounding techniques around like looking outside and just seeing, you know, I see five birds flying. I I hear... um, the wind blow. So things like that can really be um, ways in which we bring our bodies back to homeostasis. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so critical. And I, I think of, uh, I, I think of my life often and I, and I think of the fact that uh, we get so caught up in the stresses of life that we forget that uh, there, there are great blessings associated with just taking a step back and, yes. and 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 uh, not focusing on the thing, whatever that thing might be, but focusing on ourselves and and recognizing the beauty that's around us. I that's one of the reasons why we hike every morning. Ooh, is, yes. is to see that. I love that for you. I also want to double click on what you said. Like, not all stress is bad. Stress is actually uh, good. There are positive experiences of stress. Stress that. Um, we uh, get excited or surprised 
Um, we get, uh, we, we are going into a competition or we exercise and get our bodies stressed. That's all good. That's positive. We want to welcome that in our life. Um, and then there's tolerable stress, right? There's not even just all toxic and traumatic stress, even tolerable stress where like you, you fall down, you, uh, scrape your knee, but then you get this like amazing individual that comes into your life and puts that bandaid on your knee and gives you a hug. And, and really that stress then that maybe could have been really, you know, if you were left alone and just bleeding, maybe toxic, but it's tolerable because you had that person come into your life and really buffer um, the, those effects of, of that stress. And then, and then the toxic stress, of course, like what we talked about with the ACEs, not limited to, but including. And so, yeah, it's just, it's, I, I, the science of stress um, is, is not all bad. And, and the science of, of resilience is, is a science of hope. Um, and, and the way in which we overcome stress is where the hope is found. Can it, can we talk about that just for a second, Annette? Oh, uh, that's where I was wanting be, to go. Because, this is exciting. Well, it is, and 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 I love that uh, that definition and and uh, what you talk about uh, the science of uh, of hope. You know, th those two words, science and hope, almost go contrary to yep. to one another in in the world. Yep. We talk about science being a uh, you know a sure knowledge of something versus hope, which is a hope of things that are not seen that uh, we believe can be true. And and how can those two reconcile each other in, in a, a clinical world? Yes, I find myself as a Christian in tension with this. Um, but it is just so very clear that our bodies have a way of reprogramming, of uh, rebuilding, of remarking that stress. Um, we have this in our bodies called telomeres and telomere length and telomerase. Um, and I'll give you all the resources around this to share with um, your right. folks. But um, you can literally grow telomeres um, and increase your telomerase to better levels than before from positive activities in your life that can remark um, the stressful ones. And so... Uh, it is never too late as well. Stress experienced however long ago or however in the future does not define your body, does not um, uh, create uh, an Im, uh, a permanent mark. Uh, and so what I love, love, love um, about uh, the science of resilience is that you can literally um, always be changing, always be growing. It's it, The term is called like neuroplasticity. Um, kids are super neuroplastic. And so that's why we really want to invoke the, the science of resilience earlier on because of their ability to really shift more easily. It does get harder when you get older. Like I'm, I'm not going to lie. It takes more work, but it can be done. Um, and, and so, uh, that, I mean, really we can go into more techniques. Um, but really that's, that's the whole premise. And before we go into those techniques, that, I mean, the science of hope and it, you know, I'm a, I'm, can I say a witness of that hope nice. and how we can be rewired mm. 
and how that hope can replace the fear and you know those pathways those freeways that we had that were were negative you know that were based and created out of you know those those traumas in our life and and that's why we've created finding me that's why we do what we do with this podcast and we've become very authentic and vulnerable in our life is to offer that hope that it's not the end. You don't have to stay where you were. Yep. And arguably, exactly. Arguably those experiences, and this is not where it's rooted in science because it's harder to, to understand, but those experiences actually make you stronger, make you more what we call resilient to, or even better than, or really dialed in to your very nature, your call, your purpose, what what was always meant to be in your life, where we kind of think of these things like, oh, they happened to me. And uh, you sort of get into this like victim mentality where if you can shift or rewire your thinking to say, they happened through me. And now what can come from me because of what happened to me, that is where I have seen, and I think you have seen Annette and Mark, just so much beauty um, and triumph and actual positivity come from trauma. Amen, sister. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, in that uh, in that same vein, I, I think of, uh, you know, when, when you talk about uh you know, how stress and anxiety can become a, a, a positive in our lives mm-hmm. if we allow it to be. I, I think, you know, when you were talking, I was thinking of a, uh, a class that we teach each Sunday. Uh, each Sunday afternoon, we, we teach an emotional resilience class to uh, teenagers. Wow. And uh, it's a 10-week course that goes through how to build emotional resilience, uh, healthy thinking patterns, uh, uh, our bodies and emotions, uh, strengths, and, and managing stress and anxiety. Mm. Uh, you know, it goes on and on, sadness and depression, overcoming anger, uh, building healthy relationships, uh, addictive behaviors. The, the list goes on. And that's one of the things that we do in Finding Me as well, is we also, we have 10 classes on those resiliency opportunities mm. as to how we can let those experiences we've had in life become something that uh, that help us to become stronger. I am who I am because of those experiences. Yes. Yes. Do I want to experience them again? No. (laughs) But, and Michelle, you're who you are because of those experiences. And it takes healing. It takes work and energy to get to this point, but it's possible and it's beautiful. Yes, it sure is. I love what you're doing for teens. Oh, that makes my heart so, so happy. I think it's so important for teens in a time where, you know, biologically, physiologically, their bodies are doing all sorts of wild and new things. And and for them to just try to get in touch with what that is and who they are, um, it's just so important. So thank you. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's almost a, a social experiment in some ways uh, because, you know, each Sunday we, we come across, you know, and, and think of that age, you know, high school aged kids uh, that are going through different 
changes, as you just mentioned, in every aspect of the word. Yeah. But but then you also look at uh, the, uh, the the changes that are going to be occurring in their lives in the near future. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're going to be uh, they're going to be going to college. They're going to be starting a vocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone will have moved their cheese dramatically to the point where they have to uh, to be resilient at that point. Yeah. We we started talking a little bit about uh, what look, can we start talking about with with parents. And yeah. with caregivers, yeah. what what can parents and caregivers do to help foster that emotional resilience in their children, so that when that chapter does come, where the page needs to be turned, that they can be more resilient? I love that question because that's what I'm building my company to to do uh, to support parents. But before we get there, I think it's really important for parents to really understand their family of origin, because by doing that, they then understand themselves. Um, And once they understand their family of origin and kind of like maybe why I do the things that I do, then we can then start to um, create healthier habits and behaviors to um, be able to be good for and show up well and healthy for for our kids. Um, And so that's very dependent. But Uh, One thing that I have done um, that has really helped me, um, especially as a parent, is actually just becoming more conscious. So there's a framework around uh, conscious leadership. It's called the 15 Commitments to Conscious Leadership. And I practice in a forum with others because I can't just practice within. My ego gets in the way. Um, So I have others really show up and and be a part of my my journey um, with understanding the, the conscious commitments Um, and so, uh, that's one thing that I do that, uh, is a practice in my everyday life. And I meditate daily to support, um, those commitments. Um, I also, uh, honestly have a very supportive partner. Um, my husband is, is someone that I go to, to, um, seek guidance and wisdom, uh, you know, truth, um, and, uh, encouragement, so that's that's a really important part, um, and so you know I would say having a supportive network of my own um, as well uh, to raise healthy children. I think also in my life it's really important to as as a parent to to get alone time. We're so caught up in the day to day of our kids. We're so caught up in what society and culture tells us to do and and what they say we are or our kids are. And like you do with going for a hike, getting out in nature, getting away, um, even alone, just maybe going out to dinner alone, going for a walk alone, um, going away for an overnight alone. I know friends that have done this as well as myself have found healing and and just uh, really good um, perspective when coming back. Um, Yeah. Can I ask you about this alone time? Because yes. this is um, this has been something that I've been noticing, and I've been watching. I like to watch people, and I like to just you know whether it's my family of origin and trying to figure out why everybody ticks the way they tick, or you know those around me. But why do women have such a hard time with that self care with taking care of? themselves? Yes. Yes. Thank you for asking this. I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, 
first of all, I think like uh, culture and society says like self-care, 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 you know, like go take a bath and like go get a massage and go get your nails done or like whatever self-care. Yes. All of that is very good and important and, and fine. But I think what society and culture is missing is soul care. Like what are the things that will actually heal and renew my soul? Um, and that for me looks like what well, the things that we were just talking about, right? Like, no, I, I definitely go and get my nails done and, and get, you know, massages and whatnot, um, take baths, but like, uh, the soul care is really where I have found the most, um, healing and, and rejuvenation. Um, and that looks like for me, um, meditation, getting away alone time. Um, and, and yes, culture and society tells us like, you know, we're in this time of parenting where we're just like tiger mom, like we're just all up in our kids' business. We're all up in our own like image, our kids image, what they look like, what we look like. Um, which just leads to so much busyness, which leads to so much distraction from our innate purpose and, and mission and calling um, for our lives and for our kids' lives. And, and oftentimes really getting back away from that, um, you know, turning that off or moving away from that is where we can really find true rest and peace. Beautiful. And that's now the word because I couldn't figure it out. And I just kept thinking, why? Why, you know, there's something here and it and it wasn't necessarily self-care, but it is self-care. Oh, yes. So we, we started talking about uh, about parents and uh, this could really go so many different directions uh, because I think that uh, parents have different uh, ways of, of uh, feeling like their parenting skills is going to be the best in the best interest of their children. I think as we started talking about this, you know, I, I think of the analogy of Santa Claus versus Scrooge. And uh, I think that sometimes parents feel like they've got to be one or the other yeah. without really trying to find the, uh, the, uh, the happy medium. I, I think, uh, you know, when I, when I read uh, stories of Helen Keller and uh, in the book, the miracle worker, where it talks about how her parents were rather Santa Claus esque. Mm-hmm. where because of an early illness in her life that left her deaf and blind, they felt like they needed to hover over her and do everything for her. And I think that in our world today, we have a lot of Santa Claus type parents that it's yeah. all about to giving the children everything they need to, not realizing that they don't have to be exact opposite and be a Scrooge parent. But how do parents find that happy medium when they're trying to help their, their children find that self-resiliency? Such a good point. Um, the thing that I keep coming back to are antecedents versus consequences. I think parents are so afraid of what their child will do that they try to control and create an environment in which like mistakes or mess ups or whatever won't happen. That um, is honestly just a recipe for disaster. So that when the consequences do, or when the, when the mistakes or mishaps or unintended consequences do happen, then they turn into Scrooge. So it's almost like they're both like Santa Claus to like make sure that it doesn't happen. And then Scrooge when it does happen, like come down real hard and then hopefully they won't do that again. What I have come to understand and what I have found, especially for my child, my oldest has ADHD, 
is that I want to um, prepare them and um, help to almost give them the tools that they need beforehand to then set themselves up for success. And so we call these antecedents, like what can we actually do and, and um, create a foundation such that they'll have the tools that when the experiences happen, the fights, the, the mishaps, the challenges, they'll have the tools in which to go through that experience as positively as possible. And when it doesn't go right, I put that in quotes, um, or well, that then you can um, help like really shape and define what those antecedents were to then maybe set themselves up for success again. But taking ownership over this is really important as a parent um, and, and not just seeing it as like, oh, it's up to my kids. I really want to um, have parents own the experience but also own it in a way where they're not feeling alone and not feeling like they, um, that it's all up to them. I think having the mindset that there are other folks in the child's life that can shape their development and growth is, um, is really important and is what I'm trying to build in the world today. You know, I, I really appreciate that because I've seen that. I've seen that in others that were parenting, you know, at the time we were parenting and, and, you know, like I said, I like to watch, I like to learn and, and what works and what doesn't work. And we made a conscious decision that we wanted our kids to learn on where those consequences were not so huge, Yeah, you know, and if we always rescued, right they would never learn and grow and gain those tools. Yeah. And I think that's what you're saying is we have to allow them, which is hard on our ego yep. to take a step back. You know what? Our kids aren't going to be perfect. We yep. weren't perfect. We're not perfect. What is perfect? Yes. What is perfect? You know, we like <laughs> to say that we're perfectly imperfect. And, yes. and that's where the growth comes. Yes. And, you know, this has been such a fascinating discussion so far, like we talked before, it really is going to be a two-parter here. So with that. <laughs> so with that, we're going to close this segment and uh, and transition to the next. But we just want to thank our listeners. And we, we hope that this is more than just a teaser, but we want you to go on to our next portion of uh, our, our next segment uh, that we're going to be talking to Dr. Michelle Stevens as she talks about uh, not only how we can gain that uh, better uh, appreciation for what we can do to influence the lives of others. But we're going to be talking about some fun things as well that we both have a passion for, and that's the Enneagram. And uh, we're going to talk about types and, and uh, how types affect behaviors and, uh, and working together uh, with children as well as others around us. So with that, uh, thank you for joining us at uh, Finding Me Champions of Hope. And uh, we will uh, look forward to hearing uh, and seeing you in our next uh, in our next podcast. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Annette and Mark. <laughs>